Infirmary Media. Art. People engage to stop the jewel in decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Poop culture, popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week, we bring you the week experience, as I will be competing with the last week of June, 1988, alongside this week's other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, dueling with June, 1978, say hello to Crush. That's right. I have the year of my birth. June 24th through the 30th of 1978, and it was interesting. It was an interesting month. Let's just put it at that, so you'll see that in my picks. Also joining us on the panel this week and competing with the final week of June 1998 is the man who puts the cheese in machismo. It's Bo Beecraft. Ah, uh, yes. Hello, boys and bidets. Uh, I've got the week of June 21 to 27, 1998. There's some real, uh, real doozies in this one, let me tell you. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's celebrity guest judge is the wrestling rock on tour who makes coffee in his underwear live on YouTube. Please welcome back to the show, Judge RJ City. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. And I also want to thank you for having me back on a non-wrestling episode because I talked so eloquently not about wrestling in our wrestling episode. <laughs> Did you bring the the uh, Babylon book back with you? Oh yeah, I do have the Babylon book. With me, of course, but I have something even I have something even better than that. Is it the Ox Baker autobiography? No, I just have it here. You're going to love it. I have everybody's favorite board game, Tony Randall's Word Quest. <laughs> and and of course it's got his great catchphrase on the front, words yours to discover. I don't. I feel like his nephew was trying to make a board game or something, and they're like, "Tony, could you just slap your name and your face on this?" The game is atrocious. It's all about guessing definitions of words, and that's it. What year is that? It almost looks like the old Trivial Pursuit box. Yeah. Nineteen eighty-four. Oh yeah. I mean, look at the back here. They definitely ripped off some Trivial Pursuit type box. Oh yeah. Oh, that's Absolutely. Monopoly too, dude. All they did was change the color of the box from blue to gold. Tony, here's five grand. <laughs> Just give me an 8x10 and we'll handle everything else. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. All right, duelers, who's the man with the master plan? Let's find out as we play more Dueling Decades. By the way, can we just throw out before I begin, Bo, did you get the cameo that was ordered by someone? I did. Was it David Mobile? Yes. 
Shout out to David Mobile, who seems to be ordering a bunch of random celebrity cameos and also sending them to random people. They're all from Francine. He is keeping cameo afloat. He is. I don't know what the fuck that guy does for a living, but evidently he's just cameo loaded. He's a day trader. Is this? that what he legitimately does, you think? I think so. Or is he like a trust fund baby that, that has really bad hair? He's going to love the fact that he came up twice on this. <laughs> on this he's going to shit his pants. David Mobile, he's the definition of trickle-down economics. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do this for David Mobile? Can we order a cameo right now from you? To David Mobile. Yes. Okay. Uh, hi, David Mobile. This is your dear friend, RJ City. I want to thank you for your support over the years uh, by ordering <laughs> videos for me to talk to people that I'm already talking to. I think it's very meta of you and forward thinking and progressive <laughs> in a sense. And I've seen your cameos and I like your suits. And then it makes me jealous that I'm not a good dresser because I'm currently wearing a woman's Mike Tyson crop top. And it, it's really a reflection of who I wanted to become, but never did. So thank you. I love RJ. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. All right. So for this battle, Man Crush or Bo B. Craft, you guys are going to compete in the toss off. Who's going to call it? Let Bo do it. Again? I, oh, you want me? All right, I'll do it. I, have, I haven't done it in a while. I'm okay. legitimately concerned for RJ's safety if he's going to flip that entire the board game. Board game. <laughs> I could actually. I have something else which is actually a little bit better. Ooh. So I have this. It, it holds uh, like autographs. This little sleeve here, <laughs> and on one side I have Jerry Van Dyke. Wow. Eight by ten. Very exciting. And on the other side, it isn't autographed, but it's a still of Madeline Kahn and Grover. Mm. so okay. i think it would it would perhaps be fair to make jerry van dyke heads yeah are so. we all in a consensus I, there <laughs> because i could debate about that for the whole episode <laughs> i gotta go with coach though yeah that was a great show hold on let me let me find my jerry van dyke coin yeah <laughs> i don't know if you guys know this but the t in craig t nelson stands for the guy from coach <laughs> um so are you ready are we calling it yeah, I'm go I'm definitely going heads. Okay. Here we go. Heads it is. Yes. Yes. Man, that was you know what? He kept it on an even keel from last week when Rhonda flipped her breasts. Ooh. That's right. Oh. Yeah, she did. Dear, because there's no bigger boob than Jerry Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also fitting because now that Man Crush is shaven, he's sporting a Van Dyke. And it looks very nice. And I just want to let you know that this is autographed to Jim. Many thanks for your continued support, Jerry Van Dyke. Who Jim is or was, because I'm positive he's dead. I have no matter. (laughs) All right, man crush, you have control of the board and get to select our first category. Where are we going, man? Oh man. Let I this is a weak experience, so let's start with let's fuck it up. Let's start with music first. Alrighty. All right. So we got June 24th, 1978. And the last few times that I got the late 70s, I was stuck with picking a disco album. And matter of fact, last time I picked the Bee Gees and they are still utterly dominating the airwaves in the late 70s, specifically in 1977 and 78, because I looked at the charts in 78 and it's littered with the Bee Gees and Gibbs songs. Like the top 10 of the year, everything is them. 
But I kept digging and I was able to navigate through all that. And I was able to find some good old rock and roll from June of 1978. Uh, so this album itself was released on June 20th of 78. I missed it by a couple days. But the first mention of the single that I could find on newspapers.com was from June 24th, 1978. And it's weird because usually like big singles, they have a date associated with them. So maybe they didn't think much of this one at the time because there's literally nothing online. There's nothing in the papers. But I found this article talking about it on the 24th. So we're going to go with that. It's four days after the album release. Why not? And I, I would have loved to pick the whole album because I think it's a good album. Not the best, but it's great. But that said, the single is by the band that I dubbed the Nickelback of the 80s, like maybe last year. But after some deliberation with a couple of the fans of the show, I have changed my tune. They are now held in a little bit higher esteem. And it also doesn't hurt that they're my pick this week. So thank you for those who disagreed with my assessment of uh, being the Nickelback of the 80s. Uh, but anyhow, this particular single, it topped off at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. It has over 36 million plays on Spotify, so that's pretty good. And this sexually charged track, it has been used in lots of different TV shows and movies over the years, like Blades of Glory. It was in WKRP in Cincinnati, The Simpsons, Aqua Team, Hunger Force. Bones, remember that show on Fox? It was on yeah. for like 80 years, it was on that. And David Boreanaz does like his own version of it in one of the episodes. Then it was on The Office as well, so you know shit's good. But here you have the hit single, Hot-Blooded, by Foreigner. And I challenge you <laughs> to say the name of this track and not sing Hot-Blooded. It's impossible. Try it. Go ahead and say, oh, listen, Foreigner, hot You just can't do it. You can't. When I always think of Hot Blooded, I always think of those commercials for the albums from like Time Life that you could order. Yes. Hot Blooded was always like the fourth song they played. Yep. <laughs> and it was like backed up by uh, like Kansas or some shit yeah. like that. Yeah, all the time. But that's my pick. It is the single Hot Blooded by Foreigner. Delicious. All right, Bo Beecraft, what do you have for the music round? Well, I'm just going to go ahead and take the W here because in June 23rd, or on June 23rd, 1998, the release of the Brian Setzer Orchestra's third album, The Dirty Boogie. Uh, one of the biggest catalysts in the bizarre revival of swing music in the late 90s. I don't, I, I have no idea really what brought that on, but anyway, that became Cherry kind Pop of a, and Daddies, I think. That, yeah, that, but that why era. swing? Of all things in the 90s, why swing? Why not? Anyway. Uh, this record became a pretty prominent fixture, that whole resurgence thing. Uh, it was the record's lead single, though, not even originally written by Setzer and his, his swing cronies called Jump, Jive, and Whale that catapulted the band to the top of the charts. In 1999, the cover won the Grammy Award for Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with vocals at the 41st Grammy Awards. And, as we have to do, uh, six degrees of separation here. The song was originally <laughs> written and performed by Louis Prima, I played guitar in a band with Eric McKay, whose brother Ryan McKay plays guitar in The Witnesses, which is the band of Louis Prima Jr., the son of Louis Prima. We have eaten Cuban sandwiches together. Uh, he has talked about his strudel uh, and the, uh, the many women That's he weird. has in various cities across the U.S. So six degrees of separation and the 1998 release of the Brian Setzer Orchestra's third album, The Dirty Boogie, which is also my finishing move. <laughs> I love that pick, though, because... I completely forgot about Jump, Jive, and Whale. It was huge. It was. That was, 
man, I forgot all about that song. I might go listen to that after we're done. Probably not. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. So for my music selection, this is going to be the second studio album released by this group. It was released on June 28th, 1988. And when they set out to release this album, the writing, the conception of the album, they wanted to make a hip-hop equivalent to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. And just an album that musically had it going on. The jams were there, but on the opposite side, it had strong social commentary and talked about issues that the artists cared about. So on June 28th, 1988, Public Enemy released It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. This album spent 47 weeks on the U.S. Billboard 200. You know, since this album came out, it has been regarded as one of the most important albums in hip-hop and one of the most important albums of all time. It was ranked number 48 in Rolling Stone's magazine list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. It was the highest-ranking hip-hop album on the list and the only one acknowledged in the top 100. Damn. The hit single off the album, Bring the Noise, was actually a song that Public Enemy's Chuck D was not a fan of. Originally, they recorded it for the Less Than Zero soundtrack the year before. When it came out, he originally hated the recording and wanted to throw it out the window. But then they started doing more tours overseas, and people were asking, why aren't you playing that song, Bring the Noise, that you guys came out with? And he realized that the public really liked it. And when they wrote, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, You'll notice all the tempos of the, all the songs on that album are much faster than their previous album. This is because they wanted to take the show on the road, and they wanted a live crowd energy to all their live shows, so they increased the tempos on the albums to kind of show that live energy as well. So that's my pick for music. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. The second album by Public Enemy, released June 28th, 1988. All right, let's go down to our judge, RJ City, for the ruling, for the music round. Well, what's very interesting uh, about Foreigner <laughs> is that another one of their prominent songs is Cold as Ice. And I thought maybe they're just like a temperature band. Like, maybe, <laughs> their gimmick. maybe there's a, you know, you flip it over and it's a song called Lukewarm or something. <laughs> Who knows? It's a B-side. It really shows you, though, the fact that that song was out in 1978. It really shows you how deep into the 80s we already are in the late 70s. Yeah, seriously, especially the riffs. Yeah, you're just like after, I don't know, 1975, like the party is over. (laughs) (laughs) Dear Lord. Well, I don't know if it was over, but it was starting to severely wind down. Yes. Uh, My issue with. Brian Setzer is that I always wanted his name to be Brian Seltzer. I thought that was the more commercial name. Like it's right there. Just add the L like they used to do in the old vaudeville days. Make it so, you know, it's a, it's a word that everyone's familiar with and it's bubbly. And another six degrees of separation. I lost my virginity to Keely Smith, who is of course the wonderful singer uh, with Louis Prima. She's no longer with right. us. But nevertheless, she jumped, she jived, and often wailed. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) I love the Louis Prima version, I must say. And then it it is weird to me how they tried to sexualize that big band music. (laughs) It's a little gross to me. They tried to make it a little grungier in this very, very weird way. So for me, those two are out, which leaves me with 
the the thing I love about Public Enemy is that Bring the Noise had another real resurgence in '91 for being on the Tony Hawk Pro Skater right game. That was a third resurgence. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's in my head. If I hear that song, my thumbs just start moving. <laughs> I have a N64 controller in my hand, and also and and this may may bury the lead a little for this entire episode, but I am an '88 baby. Oh shit! Oh, Same. And this, I'm born July 18th, 1988. So this is right before I'm coming out here. <laughs> and I was three months behind, and and years behind on just success and talent as well. <laughs> well, that we knew. But so based on all that, I do have to go with the 1988. All right, that yeah. means I pick up a point and take control of the board and get to select our next category. All right, gentlemen, why don't we go over to the news round? Mm. So I'm going to start off by going over to the San Francisco Examiner in a newspaper, June 30th, 1988, where the headline reads, Colorized films may get labeled. House votes plan to alert viewers. The House on Wednesday approved a compromising measure that would require an advisory label on the colorized versions of up to 25 classic black and white films each year. The bill also calls for the formation of a 13-member National Film Commission that would select the films on specific historic, artistic, or cultural value. All right, so this is the start of the National Film Registry. You've heard us all talk about this on the show when we bring up these classic films and everyone says it was selected for its artistic value, and this is what we're talking about. This is the National Film Registry. This is the week that it started in, in June of 1988, that bill was passed. Oddly enough, that was kind of the second or third incarnation of the bill. They wanted it originally to be much stricter, where it would actually be illegal to show any black and white film that was selected in a colorized form. The compromise is that if they sh colorized one of these films, like if they colorized Casablanca, that they have to put in Casablanca, new colorized version. You can't label it as the original work of art. It has to be clearly labeled, and there has to be a warning on it that this has been altered. But that's where this started. So that's what I got for the news round. Man Crush, over to you. Man, can you just picture the boring-ass people that decided they needed to put labels on black and white movies? They yeah, were like, well... <laughs> eh, let's just do this, put a label on it's because at the time they were showing on TV the colorized versions or edited versions and then releasing them on home video. And people thought, man, these movies suck. Look how bad the coloring was. You know, they didn't realize oh, okay. that's that makes not more the sense. original uh, gotcha. version of the movie. Right. Gotcha. What's this 480i shit? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this kind of ties in a little bit with what Mark was saying, but let me paint a picture. So you, the marquee outside of the Spectrum Entertainment Complex in Philadelphia, they advertised that night's attraction that this weekend, Alice Copper, or Coper, however you, you want to read it, and yes, Coper, not Cooper, the rock icon is billing himself this way to dramatize his campaign to raise funds to restore the famous Hollywood sign that now reads Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> since, <laughs> since the sign is missing an O, uh, Alice decided to drop an O from Cooper until the sign has been resurrected. And he, Cooper, he personally gave Hollywood Chamber of Commerce $27,000 to replace the fallen letter. 
and he's donating a portion. I'm saying it like it's today, but obviously I'm reading a news article from 1978. He's donating proceeds from his current tour to restore the landmark in California. Whatever. I'm I'm still trying to wrap my my head around the fact that he went he went copper or would it be Coper? It's I think it's Coper. If you want okay. to say it, it's Coper. So, you know, somebody comes up to him like, "Hi, how you doing, Alice?" Well, school's out for summer, but I'm, I'm getting by. <laughs> Update. Update. All right. So November 11th, 1978, the rebuilt Hollywood sign is now 45 feet high and 450 feet long. It was scheduled for a dedication Saturday night on a national television event, but it was prematurely unveiled by high winds. The shiny new sign replaced the 55 year old landmark on the side of Mount Lee in Hollywood Hills. A 500 foot curtain was to be removed during a two-hour CBS TV special called Hollywood Diamond Jubilee, but the wind had other ideas. I mean, this is so neat. Like, the O fell down, and Alice Cooper, in honor of Groucho Marx, he actually ended up buying the O at, a, at an auction that Hugh Hefner had for $27,700. So that's where his initial donation came from. But can you imagine, like, these are 45-foot-tall letters. Where is that letter now? What do you do with it? Can you imagine just, like, going to Alice Cooper's, like, on the side of his house or some shit? Well, of course, the original sign didn't just say Hollywood. It said Hollywood Land. Right. So this is like John Landis (laughs) dropping the land from his name and just going by John Is. If John Is, his son Max isn't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me just cap this one off. Uh, in 1980, they uh, they had a 90 million dollar federal grant that enabled Hollywood to launch like a whole bunch of like redevelopment projects and revitalize the entire area, not just the sign. But it all began with the sign, thanks to Alice Cooper. Who knew that? Who knew that Alice Cooper was the driving force behind getting this thing That's fixed? Cool. I had no clue about shit. that. Charitable rocker. Wow. <laughs> thank cooper for that O. next time i see him i'll be like hey alice thanks for the o in hollywood and thanks for that info on milwaukee (laughs) milwaukee all right let's head over to bo beecraft for the news round well gentlemen buckle in for this exciting piece of news from the los angeles times on monday june 22nd 1998 raising the stakes in the privacy battle over a little thing called caller id California state regulators have given Pacific Bell the green light to offer a service that allows customers to reject calls from someone who has blocked transmission of their phone number. The California Public Utilities Commission voted unanimously to allow PacBell to offer, quote, anonymous call rejection, or ACR as it would come to be known, to customers. Uh, The service is designed to work with caller ID, which allows consumers to screen incoming calls using a phone or a small box with a digital display that shows the number. Uh, and sometimes the name of the calling party. So the phones of these uh, ACR subscribers or this anonymous call rejection subscription thing uh, automatically will reject a call. So you can't like star six, seven, wasn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. And then star six, six, nine was to call back. Call back. Yep. It automatically rejects the calls from people who have their number blocked. Uh, the rejected call will be directed to a recording that tells the caller they can get through if they unblock their phone line by pressing 82 or if they switch phones or place the call through an operator Customers will not be charged for a rejected call, though ACR was not uh, widely available yet nationwide. The service had been a, a pretty good moneymaker, despite kind of dismal amounts of people signing up for it uh, in other states where it was available. 
But uh, to think they, you know, they charged for this back in the day. Like now, if somebody calls me, I don't even answer if I know who it is. (laughs) (laughs) So true. It's so killed like the prank call industry, though. Yeah, kind of did. It's so hot in the mid 90s. And then like that came out and done. Yeah, you just can't do that with cell phones. Just crank calls. No. It's just not as. What do you got to go out and buy a burner phone to make a crank call now? <laughs> That's Jeez. part of the rush. Yeah. That's part of the thrill. <laughs> All right, so let's go down to RJ City for the judgment on the news round. Well, the thing about colorizing movies is I think it absolutely did make the movie shittier. Yeah. I remember watching March of the Wooden Soldiers. It's a Laurel and Hardy film. I have it on VHS. It's always, as far as I knew, it was in color. I didn't know any different. And I just thought the colors were weird back then. (laughs) Everything's yellow. Yeah. Everyone turned up the contrast really high. And so much of colorization in in the early days was to show off that they were able to even do it. Right. They weren't going for actors. (laughs) They were going, look at how much we can color on here. And it's like, uh, it's like okay. And then <laughs> years later, I saw the movie in black and white, and I went, oh, this is a real film. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you watch the colorized version of Nosferatu. They didn't colorize it properly. It just fades from, like, for one while, it's all blue, and then it's all purple, and then it's all red, and then it's all, and it washes out yeah. all the shadows, and you lose so much texture in the original film. Especially for horror films. And I think for a while, even when they could film in color, so many films were still black and white just because it did look better. And I think about something like, God, could you imagine watching Whatever Happened to Baby Jane in color? Oh, jeez. Fantastic. This is the most ludicrous. It's suddenly (laughs) not creepy for some reason. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know. So I find that to be a colossal waste of time that there were men coloring film cells. (laughs) It really, really, really is. The Alice Cooper thing, I enjoy how he was like really a more commercial Ozzy Osbourne. (laughs) You know, I think he understood what the media machine was, thanks in part to his fantastic manager, a man named Shep Gordon. Shep. Uh, Managed a lot of people, did a lot of variety shows, things like that. And Mike Myers did a documentary on him called super mensch yeah which is very delightful and he became since an enlightened person i guess when you have made so much money you can afford to become enlightened (laughs) uh, which is very interesting (laughs) and the the caller id thing just reminded me how bad phones used to be they used to be really really just bad (laughs) you know and now we're just like ah we can do whatever you want oh eight hundred dollars for this phone sure let me make payments on it yeah it's cordless i think it's you know worth it yeah by today's standards yes i'm not i'm not trying to text on a rotary phone and it did to me absolutely did ruin the phone call the prank call Because I was a big prank call guy. What was the best prank call you ever pulled off? I called my friend's mom. My friend's mom was at my house. I was in grade six, grade seven at the time. There was a new girl at school. And I called my friend's mom as that girl's father. (laughs) And said that your child was making fun of my daughter. Oh, man. (laughs) And... To let you know what a good impressionist I was, I had her on the phone for 15 minutes. 
and saying, that's my son doesn't do that. And, you know, this whole thing. And then when I was like, oh, just kidding, it's RJ. She's like, what? (laughs) And then she really lost it and made me put my mom on the phone. (laughs) And she, Mm. she cursed out my mom. Because I, well, what do you want from me? Like, you fell for it. Take, say, hey, that was a very good impression of a 40-year-old man. Like, give me a little bit of credit. I was very, but in high school, kids used to pay me to call the office as their parents to get them out of class. Dude, me too. What a lucrative gig. Yeah, it's really, you just had to, you know, call in. It was an answering machine. It's like, uh, Bo will not be in the uh, he's got uh he's got gout that's it and now that's all gone you know can you imagine all that's got like how does how do kids even skip school these days think about how easy it was back then via phone calls or just straight up fucking walking out and there was no leash like we just left how the hell do they do any of that now they can't do anything yeah you have no. to like climb a window no. they you know, or something. Like- they don't need to do anything because they just want to be on their phones. So as long as I have, uh, really, as long as I have my phone, I'll sit through whatever shit you want to tell me. It's fine. <laughs> what do I care? I'm gonna. What am I gonna do? I have to go outside to be on my phone. I'll be on my phone a year. What's the big deal? I got a nice chair. It's very. What do you think about that, RJ? What? What'd you say? What? Sorry, <laughs> I'm. I'm looking up the IMDb of Craig T. Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So I will say. Based on cultural longevity, I think I'm going to have to go with 1978. Ooh. Thank you, Alice Coper. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mr. Copper. Big fan of him. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty cool of him, though, to change his name to go on tour. Can you imagine? This is days before the internet, before BBS's like, magazines were like once a month and they were backdated a month. Can you imagine you bought the tickets and then you showed up and you're like, who the fuck is this? No one realized it, though. That's the thing. Everyone just thought people went mental and couldn't fucking spell. <laughs> what dumbass. You see this new Alice Cooper tour, man? They misspelled everything on the poster. <laughs> fucking idiots. But also, what like a long-winded publicity stunt. Like, you would have to know that your rock fans also read the newspaper that day. Yeah. Also read the LA Times. That's asking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just in general, read. Yeah. yeah. All right, Man Crush, that means you pick up a point, but you take control of the board as well. What category are we going with for our final one-point round? Oh, man. One-point rounds. Let's go with let's go with Hot Products. Fuck it. Let's just do it here. All right, so we got June 24th, once again, 1978. I found an article. There's about a recent Men's Fashion Association's meeting. Try to say that three times fast. That took place. And it had all the fashion industry leaders, and I know none of these people, so just uh, picture my fashion sense as I'm wearing a Ric Flair shirt. But uh, these people were Dimitri, John Wheats, Sal Kazamari, and of course, Jean-Paul Germain. Uh, But the one thing I do know is if there's no Jean-Paul involved with this, then it's probably not a serious event. This one had one, so this is, uh, it's legitimate. So if you're looking to start a fire utilizing the friction from your thighs, then you're in luck because corduroy is back. That's yeah. right. The <laughs> these men showcased their uh, their collections for the fall of 1978 uh, during this fashion summit, and all of them, all those names that I read before that I can't even remember, except for Jean Paul, they showed off at least a few corduroy items in their entire line. 
Uh, the interesting part, though, this time around, because Corduroy always goes away and comes back, they showed up with business wear and evening wear in Corduroy. Sure, you could still get sports wear and your casual attire, but now you can sweat your balls off at work, <laughs> which is pretty fucking awesome. Uh, back when I was a senior in uh, at high school in 1996, Corduroy was out of style, but it did come back. You remember, Mark, because you're, you're about my age, or you are my age, the late 90s, like 98, 99, he came back. But a couple <laughs> do, years before Do that, I remember? I only had like six pairs. That's all I wore for like a three-year span was just corduroys. Just starting fires. Just the problem with them is, one, they ripped way too easy. And, of course, you had to wear them like super long and baggy, so they always frayed. Well, everything in late 90s was long and baggy. Jinkos. Right. Yeah. The problem with that is it always scuffed up the sides because you had your wallet chain that went all the way down to your ankle. (laughs) It would always like you'd step on it and it'd scuff up the bottom of the corduroys because they were so soft. It was horrible, man. I I had a math teacher. This is in 1996. And he appeared to be wearing these same business corduroy suits I was just talking about from 1978. And he was still wearing them. And in spite of that, he like he smelled like cats, whiskey, and cigarettes from like 10 feet away. Wow. So you couldn't even social distance from this dude. But anyhow, the end of June 1978 brings us the corduroy fashion back with business attire and evening wear, which I don't... Are you going to bed with like corduroy pajamas? I don't really... <laughs> corduroy lingerie. Your pajamas have patches on the elbows. <laughs> <laughs> corduroy ribbed for her pleasure. Yes. Inside out for mine. <laughs> All right, Bo Craft. what do you got for the hot products round? June 25th, 1998, gentlemen. Microsoft released their latest operating system, Windows 98. Obviously, the successor to Windows 95, this was the next great evolution in computer operating systems. Uh, maybe not the maybe not the next generation or evolution per se, but it did improve a lot of issues that uh, users didn't like about Windows 95. Regardless, uh, it was indeed a hot product. It sold, I think, 271,000 copies like in its first day of release uh, and went on to sell an estimated 58 million licenses. Had some legs, too. Uh, support for the platform reached its end in July of 2006. God, what asshole is still running Windows 98 <laughs> in 2006? The radio station that I was working for in 2015 was still running Windows XP and probably still is to this day. That was a solid operating system. XP was solid. It was. It was a good one. Sluggish, though, towards the end. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. That's it. That's all you got. For and that's Windows it, ideas. folks. Back to you, RJ. <laughs> no mention of Windows ME. <laughs> no, he doesn't want to lose the round. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, Windows ME was like the patchwork job. I know to quit when I'm ahead. <laughs> <laughs> to try to fix 98. But it only and made that it was even worse. worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, fellas. So for my hot product, you know, we're going to go over to newspapers.com and the Kokomo Tribune out of Kokomo, Indiana. Uh, in a newspaper article written uh, June 29th of 88. It's talking about the recent release of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which came out on the 22nd, the week before, the week I had. So I don't have that for my movies round or anything, but I do have it for my hot products round. Because, see, what happened is the movie came out, and that next week, then they flooded the marketplace with all the toys. So we go into this article and it talks about how their five-day earnings from the movie was $14.8 million, 
which surpassed Three Men and a Baby and even surpassed Back to the Future. Out of all their earnings from that opening weekend, about $20 million in excess was from licensed Roger Rabbit dolls, figures, key rings, mugs, pencils, pens, said Bob Solomon of Applause Licensing Company. They're the company that handled all the licensing from the film. Oddly enough, they were also the same licensing company that did the California Raisins, and he says this week they have taken a back seat to Roger Rabbit. So we're going to go to a newspaper article the very next day that, again, talks about who framed Roger Rabbit in the theaters and gives it a scathing review, oddly enough, and then at the end says, the final blow is that store shelves are already awash with a tidal wave of tremendously overpriced Roger Rabbit merchandise, T-shirts, bendable figures, plush toys, you name it. So that shows that the week I had, that final week of June, that's when all of those figures and merchandise entered the stores. They were even doing a partnership with McDonald's. They had the uh, Jessica Rabbit, Roger Rabbit, and Bob Hoskins commemorative cups that you could get for 89 cents. I'm sure people still collect them to this day. No, not really, but... Who Framed Roger Rabbit merchandise, man. It was definitely a hot product. They knew that it was going to be big because of the the licensing and merchandising of other previous uh, animated pictures. But this one had a little bit of of a more adult feel. But that being said, they didn't allow all the merchandise to be made. Uh, Paul Pressler, vice president of licensing at Disney, said the company in Amlin decided to keep the number of licenses relatively small only to about 35, to steer clear of low-quality, trinkety goods. He said several products were turned down for licensing, including a proposed life-sized inflatable doll of Jessica Rabbit. I'm sure that still came out. (laughs) Black Black market. market. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's what I got from my hot products round. Last week of June 1998, the hottest thing there was, all the merchandise from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I just I keep thinking like how hilarious it would be to see a kid's face light up with joy when he gets a fucking Bob Hoskins commemorative <laughs> cup from McDonald's. <laughs> you just got drunk just looking at the cup. <laughs> oh, fu- oh, love this. So let's go down to our judge RJ City for the ruling. Well, as much as I appreciate French fashion, and I'm such a big fan of Jean Valjean <laughs> and Dimitri. his whole line, I'm cannot even as a child i just hated corduroy it was the ultimate admittance that your parents had dressed you (laughs) well i mean you were only 10 years old when it came back into style yeah you know so like i get that we were both like nearly 20 so it was like oh corduroy fuck yeah it'll come back again man i'm gonna see you in the ring in a corduroy blazer (laughs) i had i had no need for its durability because i didn't really do anything <laughs> it wasn't durable <laughs> you know I mean? perhaps if i had skateboarded you know well it looked like it would be rough and handles you know what i mean it always had mark you can probably you know exactly what i'm gonna say like when it wore out yeah it had like this fine mesh yeah it kind of oh. looked like a steel mesh underneath that was just see-through yeah it was gauze yeah, it was fucking gone. Yeah, it would just wear right out. Yeah. Did you hear about the new uh, corduroy pillow that is coming out? No. What? Yeah, it's making headlines. Uh, I'll see myself out. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who still uses Windows 98, though, is David Mobile. Ah. Yes. 
I think he's still got it plugged in. He's still using it. He it looks like a supporter. Do you want me to ask him right now? He actually developed it. Please. I'm going to ask while you're while you're talking. I'm going to send him a message. Do you have a hotline? Do you have a do you have a David Bubble hotline? <laughs> he's got a red handset sitting on his desk that directs straight to. Him. He's usually pretty fast at replying. If if I send him a message. Amazing. Well, I'm interested. Just ask him what operating. I don't lead him into it. Just ask him what operating system. I'm going to say RJ is on right now. Yeah, he's talking about you, and he wants to know what operating system you use. Okay, perfect. And to go to the um, Roger Rabbit's fascinating because I can't really think of one piece of Roger Rabbit merchandise that I had because you know, first of all, it's not a kids' film. I don't know (laughs) how you want to slice it. It's not a kids' film at all. However, I do own another piece of bob hoskins merchandise (laughs) and that is the doll of super mario from the mario (laughs) brothers movie great movie and it is weird because i look at him and i go well that's not a commercial face (laughs) (laughs) yet chris claremont originally wanted bob hoskins to play the original wolverine in the movie adaption of x-men Hmm. He had some burl to him. I could see something with a lower center of gravity. However, I do have the whole California raisin set, and I have no idea how or why I had gotten them. Because it was hot, <laughs> man. Did you have the record? No, no. I oh, just rem- and I remember the action figures. They just suck. Like the guy yeah, with they the, didn't move, the guitar. They like, what am I going to do with this? You just put them on a shelf. <laughs> the best part about them is they were hard, and you could throw them at people. <laughs> so violent. Well, we'll never forget the violent, vicious California Ravens attack. <laughs> He's replying right now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, let's let's wait for him to, to weigh in, and then I'll make my final decision. He must be thinking it's giving me the three dots. He's actually he's ordering a cameo from Francine to tell us what kind of computer operating <laughs> system that he uses. He said, well, that's an odd question. And he's typing more. Uh, come on. He's a double texter. <laughs> I don't need this. Oh, second part of the message is, first of all. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. Here we go. Listen here, bub. Wait. Wait a minute. He said, first of all, then hit send. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he puts ketchup on steak. So, I mean, there's that. Well, we're going to see if David agrees. While we're waiting, I'm going to go with <laughs> Windows 98. Ah. Uh. It, although I will admit that that Bo's argument was severely lacking in any. <laughs> I didn't want to give any more than I thought I needed to. <laughs> it sold 271,000 copies. Well, yeah. based on girth alone in sales. <laughs> oh, man. He oh. must be trying to really be clever oh. on this one. He said, I created a gimmick for him. For me? <laughs> he created a gimmick for you. Well, he didn't bother telling me. Well, he just did it right now. It's 24-7 tech support, RJ City. No, he's thinking of Circuit City. And he said at at home, he mainly uses his iPad Pro. My God, I'm getting like a whole diatribe here. Let's not bother explaining to him what a gimmick is. (laughs) (laughs) At work. Oh, he does have a job. At work, I use a Windows PC and my iPhone. Okay, well. No operating systems. Yeah. That's a shame. Well, never mind. I tell him I've made my choice, and I eschew his gimmick. <laughs> he said, <laughs> "He said, never mind." 
He's gonna be like, he's gonna keep writing this entire episode. He just messaged me and he says, I'm hoping you're not going to ask me for tech support because I am not good with that stuff. I'm just gonna put no, I know a guy. His name is RJ City. Named RJ City. It's his new gimmick. All right. (laughs) Message sent. He's gonna be like, wait, what? News moves fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. <laughs> David Mobile did. All right, so that ties the game up at 1-1-1, one, one and one, and we're heading into the final two-point rounds. Bo Beecraft, you have control of the board. We got two categories left. Where do we want to go, movies or television? Well, I'm going to go with the silver screen here, Mark. Uh, June 26th is the date in question, 1998. Two unknown stars by the names of George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez Uh, They'd find their sure footing in the critically acclaimed film Out of Sight, centered around a career bank robber played by Clooney and a U.S. Marshal played by Lopez, who are forced to share a car trunk during his escape from a Florida prison. Um, Of course, the film features legendary football player and acquitted murderer O.J. Simpson as uh, supporting character Detective Nordberg. Uh, But anyway, with such a comedic cast, you can assure that hilarity ensues as this tightly knit rom-com follows the duo across a cat and mouse game of are they or aren't they? film also features performances by Ving Rhames, who we now know as the voice of Arby's, uh, Don Cheadle, the inventor of Cheetos, Steve Zahn, Albert Brooks, Dennis Farina, Luis Guzman, who is one of my softest spots for uh, character actors, uh, all kinds of other people, Michael Keaton, Samuel L. Jackson, who didn't even get credits in this movie. That's how good this movie is. They were like, fuck those two. They were in it, but we're not going <laughs> to give them credit for it. Uh, based on a book by Elmore Leonard, written after he saw a picture of uh, this, quote, beautiful young female federal marshal standing in front of a Miami courthouse with a shotgun resting on her hip, uh, which is what I hope to come home to someday with a baby on the other. Uh, producer Danny DeVito bought the rights to the book. Steven Soderbergh helmed the adaptation. The rest, of course, is cinematic history. Uh, here's the film by the number 77.7 heavenly million worldwide box office total. Critically acclaimed with a 93% score on Rotten Tomatoes. The National Society of Film Critics voted it uh, the best film of 1998, as well as Soderbergh Best Director and uh, the guy who did the screenplay, Best Screenplay. Entertainment Weekly voted as the sexiest (laughs) film ever on their 50 Sexiest Mm. Movies Ever poll. Uh, Roger Ebert, the measuring stick of cinema, gave it a 3.5 out of 4 stars. In 2012, the Motion Picture Editors Guild listed Out of Sight as the 52nd best edited film of all time, based on a survey (laughs) of its membership. There you have it. June 26, 1998, the the, uh, star explosion of George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, obviously the vehicle that just really drove their careers into the mainstream. It is a a good movie. I like it. Not enough movies take places in trunks. (sighs) No. And turn into love stories. Yeah, usually it's the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Every Lifetime movie ever. I was going to get on you if you didn't say Dennis Farina, and he was like one of the last names. Oh, uh, literally a massive cast in this movie. He's in there. There's a few I didn't mention. I shouldn't have mentioned Michael Keaton and Samuel L. Jackson because they obviously just weren't that crucial to this film, despite being in it. I don't even remember Samuel L. Jackson. Where what was he? Yeah, he played himself. <laughs> He's like motherfucking fuck. And can can anyone name the other movie that Dennis Farina and Samuel L. Jackson are in? Goodfellas. There you go. Mm. I was gonna say Cop and a Half. <laughs> <laughs> 
Poe's go-to. My friend Norman can piss eight feet. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the movies round? Uh, first, I have a David Mobile update. Oh, no. uh, he said, uh, you tell RJ threatening. he cannot pass on the 24-7 tech support gimmick. That's not the way these things work. And then he said, for better or worse, it's set in stone that he's 24-7 tech support RJ City. He's still typing, so uh, be prepared for a cameo <laughs> tomorrow got... from Luigi the Pizza Guy or something. I guess, uh, oh, let me take a moment to plug Luigi Primo and what a Just great, that's best. my favorite gimmick ever. Right? Uh, but I, I guess my tech support gimmick is for David Mobile's cameo-only wrestling federation. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, June 28th, 1978. Let's go to a totally different date than June 24th, 1978. Uh, once again, I am digging back into my parents' old RCA collection, the old RCA disc. But sadly, it's a little over a week removed from one of the Man Crush 3 right here. And the one I'm talking about is Grease. Of course, the Man Crush 3 is Grease, Friday the 13th, and Airplane, the three movies that I grew up on. But this is another movie that I frequented as a kid, and I watched it today. I haven't seen it in like 30 plus years. And would you guys agree that like, if you haven't seen a movie in that long a time, it feels like you're watching it from scratch. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's so, it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Like I forgot the ending. I was at, I was telling Mike about it, Mike Ranger. And he's like, dude, I haven't seen that in a long time. He's like, that's a great movie. He's like, I don't remember how it ends. I was like, don't fucking tell me. You'll look this shit up. Yeah, all you know is that you know you liked it. Yeah. So you know you're going to be happy at the end no matter what. It's just weird how movies slip out of time. Like, I watched Kingpin again the other night for the first time in, like, 10 years, and it felt, like, brand new all over again. That one I knew all those spots, but it's a great fucking movie. Uh, but this movie right here, uh, this one starred a man whose biographer, Peter Biskind, or Biskind, however you want to say that. We'll have to ask David Mobile said he allegedly slept with 13,000 women. I can't picture doing anything 13,000 times, <laughs> let alone having sex that many times. But that said, the actor, he has denied these claims, uh, citing logistics, which I would agree. But it stars him, and it has Charles Grodin, Diane Cannon, and the amazing Jack Warden. It's the little story of an NFL quarterback who dies right before getting the chance to start for the L.A. Rams. Uh, but it turns out he wasn't supposed to die. He gets sent back to life, but they already buried him. So they stick him in a billionaire's body. And then he trains to play quarterback. He buys the Rams, appoints himself starting quarterback and wins the Super Bowl. I mean, what a what a fucking movie. Spoilers, by the way, uh, went on to make eighty two million dollars at the box office. That's a whopping three hundred and twenty two million dollars in twenty twenty. So, you know, this made a lot of dough in 1978. It won an Oscar and was nominated for eight other Oscars. It's wow. it's the Warren Beatty classic. Heaven can wait. Let me just read this to you. This is like such a kick in the balls, I think. So they were nominated totally total for nine, right? Best picture, best actor in a leading role, best actor in a supporting role, best actress in a supporting role, best director, best writing and screenplay, best cinematography, best music and original score. And it won for best art direction and set decoration. Oh, the set decoration. That's the important Dude, one that right is there. such a kick in the dick. Like they're like, oh yeah, you're nominated for all of these. But you won for set decoration. 
<laughs> that sucks, man. But yeah, it's uh, it's the movie Heaven Can Wait starring Warren Beatty. It's a great movie. I didn't ruin it. Yeah, I mostly did, but it'll be good if you watch it. What do you got? All right, gentlemen. Uh, this movie was released June 29th, 1988. It's when an extremely pampered African prince travels to Queens, New York, and goes undercover to find a wife that he can respect her for her intellect and will. Yes, I am talking about the comedic classic Coming to America, starring James Earl Jones, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Eddie Murphy, and Arsenio Hall. <laughs> and Joe Lewis. And, yeah, and Joe Lewis. He's 137 years old. See, I don't have to go into too much detail because, of course, everybody knows Coming to America. It's just one of the great all-time comedic classics. Rick Baker was nominated for an Oscar for his makeup work on this, and it actually was the very first time Eddie Murphy played more than one character in a movie. Of course, years later, that would go on to become his signature in all of his films. This is the first time he did it. You know, and we always talk about movies that have legs. Well, this one's got some legs, man. Arsenio Hall's, he worked out for... No. (laughs) What I'm talking about is this movie is coming back into theaters with Coming to America. It supposedly is supposed to be out next Christmas, but... With the current ongoing global bastard, who knows? So, do we really need another movie that's like thirty years separated? Hey, why not? Michael Keaton supposedly coming back as Batman. Let's just uh, let's go all in on nostalgia this year. Why not, man? What was the other one that just came out like thirty years later? Oh, Top Gun. Oh yeah, like Top, Gun. Top Gun. There's like a bunch of them. There. It's like, come on. Oh, Bad Boys. That's the one I'm thinking of. Like 20 years later, that was not a good scene. Hey, hey, man, Crush, I'm, I'm just going to point this out to you. The fact that you're bashing nostalgic things, not good for the show. <laughs> you know, I think our audience may enjoy going to see It's these not films. nostalgic <laughs> if you're fucking making a sequel 20 years later. It's not. It's, un- it's unnostalgic. Yeah, it's fucking lazy is what it is, uh, yeah. man. It's like, oh, we can't think of anything else. Let's spring back Lethal Weapon. They're like 90. <laughs> He's literally now, too old fine. for this shit. They're still on the job. Yeah, come on. I'm uh, upset that when you're talking about Heaven Can Wait, you did not mention the cover or the poster of the movie, which involves Warren Beatty with wings standing in front of heaven waiting. (laughs) It's like looking down at his watch. He's got his legs crossed. He is waiting. It's a great cover. It's a great, very simple, great cover. And as much as the uh, Bo, you're, I, I will say all the casts are pretty great. I feel like this is turned into cast wars. These all these movies have very deep <laughs> casts. Uh, I, I I will say, Mark, you do also know, and I don't know if you mentioned Samuel L. Jackson is also in your movie. <laughs> he is. He's kind of in everything. Also in the movie, I'd be remiss if I if I did not mention that Louis Anderson is in it, and John Amos. From oh the uh, cookie guy, famous Amos. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> McDowell was McDowell. It the McDowell's guy. Yeah. Yes. Little tidbit of information I found when doing the research: that restaurant McDowell's, they actually built that. They didn't let people in the community know. So a manager from an actual McDonald's went to it and took photos and told the people that were designing the set, "You guys are going to get your asses sued for doing this." <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we got Soul Glow. And even better than that, 
since it did reunite Donna Miche and Ralph Bellamy also appear in the film as their characters from Trading Places. So this is really a Landis uh, Murphy universe here. And I don't think anyone is doing a deep dive into that. They do all these conspiracies about Disney being in the same universe. But tell me about Trading Places and Coming to America, (laughs) how these characters intersect and how Eddie Murphy plays 75% of them. My other favorite part is that um, Arsenio Hall plays multiple roles in this too. But uh, they were like, yeah, that was fine once. Uh, Never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say for box office success and cultural impact, I have to go with Coming to America. Hard to argue that. All right, so I take the lead. Two to one to one. Heading into the final round. Let's see if I can hold on to that lead and pull out a victory. So, of course, we only have the television round left. So we'll go over to my television selection. I didn't have a, uh, a TV series that debuted during my week, the final week of June 1988. But unfortunately, we lost a television series. We lost a television series named J.J. Starbuck. It was a television drama on NBC it follows J.J. Starbuck, an eccentric Texas billionaire who unfortunately loses all of his family in a plane accident, gives up his fortune in his business, and decides to travel the earth as a private investigator. Why not? So basically, if you can think of this character, take of like JBL from the WWE and Matlock and make him one character. So he went around wearing the big white Texas hat, the bolo tie. He had the white convertible with the horns on the hood. And he kind of traveled around from town to town helping people out. The lead actor in the role of J.J. Starbuck, Dale Robertson, about halfway through the season, actually suffered an accident while he was at home during filming. He fell and broke his hip. So they had to write it into the script. So the uh, the creator of the show actually brought back another character from one of his previous shows. And that was uh, the character of 10-Speed Turner, played by Ben Vereen, who was popular in his other show, 10-Speed and Brown Shoe, which was, of course, Ben Vereen and Jeff Goldblum. So we have the unfortunate demise of J.J. Starbuck, a show that, well, it probably wasn't going to get any better anyway. That's what we got. Final (laughs) episode, June 28th, 1988. Don't you hate it when you have a one-point... A one point round. Oh, it's horrible, man. This is like if they would have put Chuck Norris in Dallas. <laughs> it's a big one. They have all the intro to the series and stuff up on YouTube. You can go and check it out. It, it's, it's, it's a hoot, man. <laughs> I know I'm not doing a great job of selling this pick, but <laughs> just keep going. You got to go with the hand you're dealt, man. So maybe JJ Starbuck will ride in on his, uh, on his big white convertible and save me on this pick, but. I don't know. All right, Man Crush, what do you got for this round? Well, it's funny that you went that way, because I almost went with the Waverly Wonders, which was a, a TV show in 1978 with Joe Namath. Ooh, that would have been a, equally is shitty. a washed-up professional basketball player right. who becomes a gym teacher, <laughs> and that it only lasted like four episodes. But I didn't do it. I, I kept digging and reading newspapers.com until I found this one from June 25th, 1978, and I did go with some news, um, but up to this point, you had the ABC Evening News, and it was always the they were always third place in the ratings to CBS and NBC. 
you know, their nightly news program at the time, it was called the ABC evening, evening news. And it was done all, like all other shows were from their New York, you know, like their studio in New York. Everything was broadcasting out of New York. And then it was an, announced on the 25th that they would be changing their entire format and rebranding the show ABC World News Tonight. So they would become the first major news network to newscast and not have a focused anchor desk in New York. Instead, there would be three major anchor positions in different locations. They'd have a national desk, which would also be like the coordination center uh, broadcasting from Washington, D.C. That one was hosted by Frank Reynolds. Then you had a domestic desk in Chicago that was manned by the first ever African-American anchor, Max Robinson, which is huge. And then, of course, you had the foreign news desk, which was manned by the legendary Peter Jennings from London. And then let's not forget about the iconic Barbara Walters, who they would have doing her own special coverage news desk, which will be shot out of New York. She was originally out of L.A. and they moved her to New York instead. So New York's not totally vacant, but now they're only getting special news coverage. And this new like format that they did with this, it would change how all these the news was delivered for them and for other networks. And ABC would eventually topple both NBC and CBS and become the most watched evening news program for the first time in their existence. The show is still around today, obviously. It's over, what's the guy's name? David Meir or yeah, Moore or whatever. David like, Meir. It's a constant back and forth now between them and ABC, whoever is the top slot. And they have been there since they made this change in 1978. So not too often do we see like a network TV change that works out, but this one did. And it's the announcement of the new ABC World News Tonight. Can you just picture Peter Jennings with like London behind him when he used to do that? Yeah. It's like iconic. Way better than the Waverly Wonders. Uh, debatable, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I had for the TV in 1978. All right, Bo Beecraft, what do you got for the television round? Well, gentlemen, I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to swing for the fences here. I'm talking about a show that aired in syndication, daytime syndication for that matter, beginning June 22nd, 1998, and that is The Howie Mandel Show, taped, unfortunately, in the same studio where legendary talk show host Johnny Carson filmed The Tonight Show. Uh, the variety show's first guest was Jennifer Aniston, uh, also featured a cameo from Jay Leno, who uh, <laughs> appeared on the premiere to wish Mandel luck. Well, in a uh, legendary tale of foreshadowing, uh, the show was canceled in April 1999, so Leno's words really had no weight behind them other than his own. Uh, the program also featured up-and-comers as musical acts like Britney Spears before her big break. Uh, despite the star power involved, the show never really drew well on the ratings. Actually, on uh, like browsing through some of the newspaper archives, I saw an advertisement for the Howie Mandel show in Chicago, airing at three thirty-five a.m. <laughs> uh, so this was <laughs> very early daytime by that standards. Is that early daytime or is that late, late, late night? Couldn't tell you. I guess, I guess it depends on who you ask. It's like Carson Daly territory. Well, it was it was weird because like the the show had like, you know, a TV PG rating, but there was like this running gag, for lack of a better term here, uh, because Mandel would frequently use the word penis on air. <laughs> no idea why it was a thing. Uh, but yeah, it uh, didn't last very long. June 22nd, 98 to uh, April 1999. 
Didn't even make it as long as his uh, animated series, Bobby's World, which I feel like he probably should have stuck with. That ran for eight years yeah. uh, and yep. featured featured musical compositions by the incomparable John Tesh. On Bobby's World or on his talk show? Yeah, yeah, Bobby's. This is why I'm saying he should have stuck with that. You want to talk star power, Bobby's World was where it was at. John Tesh should have been the band leader on the talk show. You would have thought so. That's crazy. All right, so let's throw it down to Judge RJ City for the ruling. I'm feeling so judicious. I want to plant some cultural, pop cultural seeds for you, gentlemen, that I think will be of your interest. Some things you can keep in your back pocket and maybe pull out in later episodes. Keep mentioning Ben Vereen, which is fantastic. <laughs> I also have to point out a show he starred in called Zubilee Zoo. Yes, love that it show. It was on PBS, and it was almost like the Isle of Dr. Moreau. It was a children's <laughs> show of half-human, half-animal people. The, the parrot lady <laughs> still gives me nightmares to this day. There you go. And he played Mayor Ben, who I believe was a lion yeah. in, a, in a top hat. And let's not ask too many questions, but let's enjoy that. Also, on the heels of J.J. Starbuck, there is an episode. Now, I'm, of course, on the non-wrestling show, I'm bringing up this obscure wrestling trivia. At some point during the WCW Saturday Night years, it was taken over by the NWO, and they called it NWO Saturday Night, and they would wrestle yep. jobbers on the show and make fun of them. And one of the jobbers, and I will never forget it, was named JoJo Starbuck. <laughs> you have to think that Kevin Nash only did that because he was a big fan of J.J. Starbuck. I would hope. I would say ABC is, is funny because I always think of it as the ABC Disney, as a kid's channel or a family channel, you know? And then you don't really think of it as becoming number one in news. But then you think ABC 2020. You can't think of 2020 without thinking of ABC. Right. Hugh Downs. It's fascinating to me. Also, I believe, I believe that the Howie Mandel show led to Howie's spot on The Tonight Show where he would do pranks. Correct. And it was called like... Uh, Howie Do It. Howie Do It, yeah. And I, as much as I loved Bobby's World, I absolutely hated Howie Mandel the person. <laughs> <laughs> there is also an album he did, a song he put out called Do the Watusi. And I know I'm getting blank faces and I'm happy I am because none of you should know this, but I urge you later, if anyone's listening to this, David Mobile, anybody, please YouTube do the Watusi by Howie Mandel. And it is the absolute worst comedy song I've ever heard. It's Bernie Toppin's worst writing ever. Easily. Hand down, hands down. Doesn't even come close. So if we're going by, gravitas and i believe we are and because you know me i'm a big softy for peter jennings i have to go <laughs> rest uh, in peace with the abc world news tonight it's a big change did you know that he was the i didn't realize this until i was doing the research that he was the lead anchor of that show in the 60s wow really? when it wasn't like i guess it wasn't any good but he was and he's canadian yes yeah, yeah. And then he starred in that spinoff movie with John Candy, Cool Jennings. <laughs> of my favorites. About a newscaster who bobsleds. It's a, it is a hoot. It's the best. It's one of the best. It's up there. All right, gentlemen. You know what that means once again? We are tied at three apiece with me and Man Crush, so we go to the final wild card round. All right, Man Crush, All right. you want to go first on this one or should I? 
Uh, I, I go first. All right. So I was going to use this for my hot products, but I didn't exactly know how it would fly. But fuck it. I'm going to use it now. Let's see. I'm on like a really bad slide, too. What is this, like four weeks in a row? I just got a message today from uh, our listener, Eric Cluley, who was like, dude, why the fuck haven't you won in like forever? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I just like whatever. It's just having a good time. He's like, no, it must be burning you up inside. And I was fine until he said that. And now I feel like shit. So I'm going to give you this one. All right. So this is uh, out of the Daily News. It could either be a news story or a hot product. I was actually going to use this for a hot product. It's a news story out of the Daily News. And the, uh, the title of the story is Weeds High as Cops Heads on Dust Street. Got my attention. <laughs> the sign on the corner reads West 123rd Street. But in the drug underworld, this one block strip of the tenements known between Lenox and 7th Aves in West Harlem is known as Dust Street. It is a block where every stoop is a famous address known for either the pusher who sets up shop there or the brand of angel dust that is hawked. And it is where patrons from Long Island, Westchester, Connecticut, and New Jersey get curbside service for scores of dealers who openly sell their wares. And then there's a bunch of quotes from drug dealers, which are fantastic in here. Hey, man, I got the dust. Just picture this dude running up to your video, <laughs> to your vehicle at a stoplight or whatever. Hey, man, I got the dust. I got black pistachio, said the man in a red baseball cap who stood in the middle of the street with his hand up to stop a carload of potential customers. When the car stopped, he trotted over to the open window with his stash of drugs in a battered brown shopping bag. I got the dust, he repeated. Nervously, I, the occupants of the car. How much? Asked the driver. It cost $5 for enough weed and angel dust mixed with marijuana to make two healthy joints. And it goes on and on and on. There's like all these conversations with these guys at the street corners. But it, it's so funny. Like, and they're saying how like cops are literally three cars away and they're just, they turn a blind eye to this entire street. They're just like, yeah, fuck it. So it feels like almost like Fulton Market. But for drugs, where was this again? Uh, Dust Street. It's uh, West 123rd uh, between Lenox and 7th Ave in West Harlem. I'm sure it's not like that anymore. It's probably a business district oh, now. Okay. They, st they still open? Like <laughs> There's like profiles of each dealer that they talked to in this article. It's a, it was a really long article. That was one of the reasons I didn't pick it. And how each guy has like a code name for his own product. Like uh, this guy says, my dope is better than anybody's. If you drive along West 123rd on any given day, you might be asked to sample Black Beauty, Two Minute Warning, or SOS. Each one a variation of the same dangerous drug. Wow. But, That's actually a pretty awesome article, man. That's way ahead of its time. We're talking 78. And basically what you just found was Angie's List for drugs. <laughs> it was just, dude, it was like it was going to the mall. It was like the Mall of America for drugs. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys, so for my wild card round, I almost picked this in my music round, but I wasn't really sure because, you know, it's just not that strong. It's the third single released off an album that came out in 1987, the year before. So technically, I didn't want to use it for my music round because it wasn't released. But the third single, it came up on the Billboard Hot 100 charts on June 25th, 1988, a song called Sweet Child O' Mine by Guns N' Roses. 
charted on the Billboard charts for the very first time. Didn't stay on the charts very long, only about a week, and then it dropped off. But it would jump back on the charts again a few weeks later and become the band's only number one U.S. single, and it was ranked as the number five song in 1988. Wait, what did you pick for the music round? Public Enemy. Oh, yeah. So I, right. I didn't go with Sweet Child of Mine because, again, the album did come out a year before. It's this, a single. It's just the release of a single, but I wanted to bring it for the wild card round. So that's what I got, the release of the single of Sweet Child of Mine. So let's go down to Judge RJ City for the final ruling on this game. Well, 1988 is my birth year, and it is a <laughs> song about a child. So clearly that's destiny to me. <laughs> and not Destiny's Child either. I mean, it's a it's a sweet child. You understand what I'm saying. I also think it's crazy that it was that was their biggest hit. And every horrible gym you walk into, and every indie wrestling show you go to, plays Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, all the that's time. That's very interesting. Based on that, and because I have a very staunch anti-drug stance, I'm going to go with Guns N' Roses. All right, fine. That's why I didn't pick it for Hot Rod. <laughs> <laughs> I was scared to pick it for the music round just because I thought that Man Crush would absolutely murder me on the fact that the album was released like a year before. But No, if you're picking a single, that's okay. If their single was released during that week, then you're good. Yeah, but if you guys had an album that was released on that date, I feel that the album actually released carries a little more weight than the single. So eh, I wasn't sure. Well, I picked Hot Blooded, so <laughs> not the album. So that means I pick up a win yet again. Man, I used to lose all the time. Now I've picked up a couple of victories. This this luck ain't going to hold up for long. But I want to thank our awesome judge, RJ City, for being a great judge on this one. Thank you. It, it was a pleasure. And hopefully I can come back with my new comedy partner next time, Michael Winslow. It's gonna, <laughs> we're going to be called Sounds of the City. Maybe you can come oh. with your tag team partner because uh, it was funny. Like after the last uh, episode, David Arquette had sent us a message to saying thank you, I guess, for mentioning his dad or whatever. Yes. So I was like, hey, while you're mess, <laughs> I was like, your tag team partner was on. I was like, Jamie Kennedy was just on. I was like, it's just like the natural progression that you'd be the next person. <laughs> right. He's like, well, I'm filming right now or doing something or whatever. He's like, but uh, contact me next month and we'll uh, we'll set something. Yes, up keep tabs, and then we can all try to get him to sit still for a Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> Hold, on, I have a David Mobile update as well. Oh yes, update, he update, said, update, uh, update. I hope I get another nice shout out from you guys because I made you guys famous. <laughs> and I told him we bought him a cameo for this episode yeah. on the episode, <laughs> and he sent me the gif of the guy going like this you know from uh what movie was that from um this one uh, that? oh is that the one with the when george clooney's in a trunk <laughs> no <laughs> napoleon from, uh, dynamite napoleon dynamite yes. yeah 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 well little does he know that this is really the david mobile tribute episode <laughs> <laughs> we should actually for the uh you know how we put out the uh, the little clips or whatever? Yeah. yeah. You should use the clip of the David Mobile cameo yes. for that. <laughs> That's a great idea. Only if you make a PNG of him and put it in the graphic. Next oh, my him. God. That's what I want. Just in the corner, just so he like, sees yeah. it. <laughs> Hidden on the side. 
Yeah. No mention of his name or anything, just like his face. <laughs> oh, dude. Yes. That's a great idea. All right, RJ. So tell everybody what you've been up to. What projects you got working on and uh, what do you got coming uh, up? I don't know. The same shit I was doing the last time, really. <laughs> it was like I don't two think anything ago. changed. Are you gonna yeah. just gonna insert, insert whatever the hell I said last time, <laughs> I guess. Shit. <laughs> Um, I will tell you something which is amazing. My birthday is coming up soon, as I had mentioned, and I got a gift from David Arquette today. And it's Aww. this wonderful painting of Jerry Lewis as the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland, wow. apropos of nothing. And even though it's not painted by Jerry Lewis, it's autographed by Jerry Lewis. Oh, my wow, God. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm quite stunned. I'm quite touched. And I'm going to have to send him back an equally bizarre piece of Jerry Lewis memorabilia. <laughs> Why don't you get him a cameo from David Mobile? <laughs> I think that would be a great. I'll tell him that this is like Jerry's nephew. Or that naked painting of B. Arthur. <laughs> yes. I think that would be great. <laughs> and you can hang it a little lopsided for that realistic look. Yeah. Well, that would straighten it. Yes, a little bit. bit. Well, it's painted askew, you know. Yes. Realism. But I think if you let your eyes relax, I think you can see a dinosaur, too. It's a sailboat, RJ. It's a sailboat. Yeah. uh, Sorry, but you just have to let them finally go. Relax. See it, but don't look at it. Hold on. I'm looking it up right now. B. Arthur naked. Yeah, and it, that would be a nice. Is this the first time that's in your search history? Uh, no, it popped my... right up when yeah. I said B. And it 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 goes really nice. Uh, I have another companion art piece of Herb Edelman's Ooh. penis. What now? What kind of species of dinosaur? Do you what see? what kind of species is Herb's <laughs> Herb Edelman's penis? No, no, no. For B. Arthur, <laughs> it's a brontosaurus. Just relax, relax, and then bring it a little closer, smoothly. Nope, too rough. Never mind. You've lost it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be really delicate with it she got great nipples in this picture though yeah and that of course is is uh I, you know what i'm kind of surprised he doesn't have that picture he should have it get it for him again get it in velvet get it on a canvas for him let me double check with his wife <laughs> All right. Well, once again, I want to thank our judge, RJ City, for coming on and judging yet another episode. He's welcome back anytime. But don't worry, duelers. If you've missed an episode, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can subscribe on Spotify, really, wherever podcasts can be found. And then while you're on the interwebs, head on over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, where you can join the group of all of our other duelers and share some of your very own retro memories so until next time duelers we're going to bid you a peace love light and a joy have a grateful week everyone infirmary media